0: Welcome to Elevate, I'm so happy you're here with me today and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to fuel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Elevate. So I am very excited to announce that Miss Haley Cunningham has now gotten her functional medicine certification. So we are going to deep dive into all of the important things going forward. She'll be on on a monthly edition to explain some of the hormonal adaptation, things that you guys want to know, but breaking it down so that it is practical and digestible. Because a lot of the times what we see on social media, while functional medicine is fascinating and critically important, sometimes it can be over your head. So we're here to simplify it for you. Yes, we will talk in scientific context, but we will break it down into what the fuck does that mean for you? And how will you know? So Haley, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you know, another day in the life. I can't complain. Uh, so today we're going to talk about periods, right? So dudes, I'm sorry. You can kind of tune out unless you want to learn about your girlfriend or your wife There might be some insightful things, um, for you here today, but one of the most important and misunderstood things when it comes to Mm. weight loss, fat loss is some of the metabolic things that happen. And because women are the primary force of the entire weight loss culture, it's important for us to discuss some of the risks that happen with that and things that you need to pay attention to. And on top of not only a regular cycle and understanding your regular cycle, but what birth control can do to that. So Haley, uh, what I want you to do is basically give everybody an overview of their cycle and the different phases of the cycle and some of the symptoms that they might experience there.
1: Okay. So the first phase I think the easiest way to remember first phase and follicular phase is FNF. So first phase, um, that's usually about the first 14 days. Again, like everybody's a little bit different, Um, but this is the follicular phase. And in this phase, um, many follicles will develop due to FSH, which is a follicle-simulating hormone. Um, And one of these follicles will release the egg. Um, And then, so, During this time, progesterone will remain pretty low and then estrogen starts to kind of starts low and starts to increase um, with the surge in the final days. Um, The egg will implant itself into the uterus. So the follicular phase is, in my opinion, the most like fun phase. Um, This is when your energy is really high. Recovery in the gym is great. Everything's happy in the follicular phase. Once the uh, egg releases, that's when ovulation starts. Um, so during this time, you'll have an increase in estrogen and testosterone. And this is when you'll have like a really big increase in your libido um, because we are wanting to get pregnant at that time. Our body wants us to reproduce. Um, this will only last for a very short period of time. Then the luteal phase takes over. Um, luteal phase is the least fun. It is kind of where you get those, maybe PMS symptoms, um, water retention, cravings, mood swings, uh, increased appetite, decrease in strength. Um, so it's really not fun. I'm, I'm currently in my luteal phase and I could tell this morning <laughs> I was at the gym and I'm like, man, strength is really down. And I literally had to fight back tears, <laughs> It's just really emotional. Um, so it's a the little bit of like the not so fun part where that PMS can take over.
0: Yeah and so one thing that um there's so many loopholes that we can go down um so in the first phase what we typically observe is strength is at its is at its peak um and we typically see that through ovulation and so i think one of the most important things to consider if you are a female and you get caught up in the scale and things that happen around that is also considering what phase you are in your cycle. And I see this with clients all the time. And one thing that I really encourage every woman to do is track their cycle because most women, um, and I'm sure that you can see this in your clients too, they tend to carry weight and their weight kind of spikes anywhere from three, I've seen up to 10 pounds going into their period. And so a lot of women... Tend to also feel very insecure. Body image be, tends to be heightened. Um, we are much more in an emotional, mental headspace during that time of the month going into the later phase. And so, if you are someone who kind of feels this way or has that experience, I would first pause before you jump off a ledge and investigate where you are in your cycle. And the more that you can track it, whether you have a calendar or you track with a tracking sheet like our clients do, somewhere where you can note, oh, I'm going into my cycle. This is normal. It's a normal fluctuation for me around this time of the month. Oh, yeah. And the psychological notes that I have is typically I'm a little bit more emotional. I typically have a little bit more body image or insecurity. Um, and I tend to have elevated hunger. I really want more chocolate and ice cream and things like that. And so the more that you can collect data on yourself, the more that it will alleviate the things that drive up anxiety and drive up self-sabotaging behavior, because you're making a decision
1: from an emotional headspace. Would you say that you see that Haley? Oh, for sure. Even with myself, like once I started tracking my cycle, um, cause for so long I was on birth control and we know like cycles aren't, really cycles when you're on birth control you get into that like, periods. with that. When I came off of it, I became very on top of tracking it. And I have like a, an entire spreadsheet. I can go back and track my weight. I mean, I even track my blood glucose and I know like if I am like on my period, it's gonna be elevated. And in so many cases, I've been able to talk my own self off of a ledge mm-hmm. <laughs> because I could just be like, okay, weight is up three pounds because of this or um, blood glucose spiked because of this. Um, Just so many even resting heart rate for me sometimes goes up because my anxiety goes up. So it's easier to be able to kind of talk yourself off a ledge. And I've noticed with my clients when I'm like on top of them about tracking their cycle, they've come back to me and they're like, yeah, I was a little bit more emotional and I was uh, having a bad body image day. But then I saw like, I'm in my, my luteal phase and I was able to kind of rationalize with myself. And I'm like, there's so much power in that. Yeah. So much just being able to know yourself, know your body, um, can really alleviate a lot of unnecessary stress. A ton. And it can, again, prevent you
0: from taking those like self-sabotaging steps of like, well, fuck it. I'm putting in all this effort and my weight is up. What the fuck is going on? I might as well just do all the things. Right. And then you set yourself back and, um, one thing I noticed, which I'm sure you do too, is after their cycle, they tend to hit a new low if they stay consistent, yes. right? Cause they're still in that calorie deficit and they're still seeing that progress. A lot of it really is just the fluctuation of your hormones um, mm-hmm. and the increase of water retention around that time of the month. So yes. I want to segue into birth control because this is a very controversial topic. <laughs> oh So <yes. laughs> can you break down what, what does birth
1: control do to women? Okay. So basically, obviously it stops us from getting pregnant, but why does it do that? So, um, it stops the surge of FSH and LH, um, and it prevents the estrogen rise. So it just stops ovulation and we can't have progesterone production. So basically stops the communication from our brain to our ovaries. So we do not ovulate. Um, so we won't have a, a period of time where we can actually get pregnant. Um, I think a lot of people don't know that it actually just kind of stops production of stuff They're so kind of just given this pill and told like, Hey, you won't get pregnant or the many other reasons were prescribed birth control. But, um, yeah, that's basically what it does. It just kind of stops that communication. So we won't ovulate and we don't have the opportunity to get pregnant. So
0: Haley is the expert in functional medicine on our team. While I am versed, she's stepping into that role. And one thing that I study a lot is psychology. And one thing that I am fascinated by is evolutionary psychology. I'm saying this for a reason, I promise. (laughs) So what I learned um, in my research thus far, I I did go down a rabbit hole about birth control because I understand that it basically it sends a, a dose of progesterone um from from wherever you're taking it, right to communicate to the brain, right to eliminate FSH and then ovulation. the problem with that though so outside of it just fucking with only your we're told it just will stop you from having a period and that sounds fantastic, right? everyone's like, I don't want to go through this. this is awesome. this is a solution. but what people don't know is that it really has other impacts on you as a person because it does mess with your brain chemistry. and so, when I was going down this rabbit hole and it was, there's research now about this. Cause again, I think a lot of people forget a lot of the innovations we have with medicine. We are almost Guinea pigs of a, of a study in real time, right? So we don't always know the consequences of things, especially longitudinally, which means over a long time horizon. So what this does for women, and there's research that came out about this, which I find fascinating. Remember that ovulation is where estrogen is at its highest And that's where women are sexually inclined to want to have intercourse with their partner or with a man to get pregnant, right? So sex drive is elevated in women around that time of the month. This is important. This is a really important thing. In a natural female who is not on birth control, she's also differently looking at men. And what they found in the research was that women who met their partner on birth control after coming off of birth control, they found a decrease in, um, I forget the word. So if I'm incorrect, please correct me here. I don't want, I want to say, um, sexual satisfaction or intimacy in their relationship, because when women are on birth control, they don't necessarily gravitate towards like that alpha man, that protector, right? Because it's like well, they don't have that drive to consume that type, to need that type of person because they're not gonna get pregnant, right? So when you are, especially like evolutionary, if you're gonna get pregnant, you want someone that can provide and protect for you, right? That's how we've normally seen men, right? They are their providers, they protect us because now we are out, we can't be in the workforce. We're not out hunting or gathering or whatever, we're pregnant. So we want someone that is reliable in that arena. But women who are on birth control select more of the, I would say the flashy stuff um, in their partner, and they may not be kind of that alpha male, right? And so when they come off, the attraction isn't there because they, while they still report having a higher sex drive, right? They, so in the study, they looked at sex drive versus satisfaction, right? Because they're different perceptions. The sex drive was the same, right? They had elevated coming off because they were ovulating, but the intimacy factor and satisfaction with their partner was actually lower.
1: And women, and they did have
0: a control group who was never on birth control. And they, they compared that as well. And obviously their sexual satisfaction with their partner was just fine. And they still had the same sex drive. Um, So it's interesting that it not only impacts your ability to reproduce, it downregulates your natural production of these hormones, which when you come off of birth control, depending on how long you were on it and how reliant your body has become on that, right? We, we see women who struggle to kind of upregulate that natural production, right? That there's kind of a wonky phase and you can talk about that. Yeah, sure. But it's interesting about the neurochemical, the neurochemistry shifts in the brain in the way that you think and the way that you look at people, um
1: which I find fucking fascinating. That is wild. I didn't know that. Like I know just from my personal experience coming off birth control how different I am in a lot of ways as far as anxiety. And my sex drive is much much healthier <laughs> now that I am like hormonally optimal. Um, But, like, I was a completely different person on birth control, for sure. In what ways? I'm very curious,
0: because I see this a lot. There's actually a lot of research around that as well.
1: I felt, like, I I guess numb. Like, emotionally, I felt pretty numb. Um, My energy was really, really low. Uh, Like, sex drive was not there, like, at all. Um, And I had anxiety a lot worse. A lot worse. And I was on birth control for... I went on, I was 17 and I was 26 when I went off nine years. Yeah. And I had a rough go when I went off. It was bad. And I even like took a month or two prior to going off birth control and tried to prep my body the best that I could. I was taking prenatals. I changed my diet a little bit. Um, I, I really tried a lot of things, but you know, the the 9 years that i was on it it wasn't going to be very easy for me personally to just i guess come come back from that it took me i went off in december of 2020 and i got labs back in march of 2022 that were finally where my i wasn't like um estrogen dominant um uh, where I finally had like a, like my progesterone was pretty much gone and like I had nothing for the longest time. Um, and just for reference, like my estrogen to progesterone ratio was a 16. So we know like anything under a hundred indicates what people call estrogen dominance. So I was a 16. So I was pretty far under that hundred and, um, I felt I've definitely felt the effects of that. That was pretty miserable. Um periods were awful, awful, so awful.
0: <laughs> let's break down the estrogen progesterone relationship because a lot of people will look at labs um and just kind of look at them in isolation not understanding mm-hmm. that they're very integrated um and interconnected with the biofeedback that we experience. So, can you talk a little bit about what is the relationship there? why does the ratio matter? And what are some of the side effects or biofeedback markers that people might experience with estrogen dominance?
1: So they just like with anything, balance is key, right? So if we have way too much estrogen and progesterone is like the calming hormone, it's supposed to like bring us down and everything like that. If we don't have any of that, then we don't have that, that good balance there. The biggest things with estrogen dominance that you'll like. Symptomatically, see, I see a lot of people acne. It's a huge, huge one. Uh, very heavy periods, um, very long cycles. Not like just your period itself, but your menstrual cycle um, itself will be a lot longer. Instead of that, like twenty-nine day-ish mark, we'll see a lot longer in the forties and stuff like that. And then when they do get a period, you bleed a lot. You get very heavy periods, very painful periods. Um, so those are the biggest things I, anxiety is a big one with estrogen dominance as well. Um, those are the biggest things that I see. And so coming off
0: of your period, I know that you mentioned you, you went into it and prepped really, really well, the best that you could, um, Mm -hmm. to prepare yourself from coming off of it. My curiosity is what were you on for birth
1: control? Uh, the pill, uh, I don't even remember which pill they, they put me on. Um, it wasn't progesterone only i know that much um they switched it a couple of times over the years um but i honestly cannot remember the one that in, that i ended it with
0: <laughs> yeah and i just asked because different there's so many different options um yeah. i was on Pavera for a long time and that is one of the higher hormonal um uh, injections that you can get and over i i believe this to be true correct me if i'm wrong haley i think um, that one over three years, they're supposed to pull you off of due to osteoporosis. I've
1: heard Her, that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Bone mineral density t- can decline if you're on that for a longer exposure, as well as the fact that most women on Depo-Provera do struggle with weight loss and see a good amount of weight gain. Um, after that I was on Nexplanon, which is a uh, mm-hmm. kind of, a it's like this plastic tube. They stick into your arm. Yes. Um, so I was on, um, uh, birth control since I was like 16. And I actually was on it for almost a decade. Um, And then coming off of it, I actually got my first period um, November of last year. And yeah so my body is still very much dysregulated like I have acne like a fucking teenager again I'm like oh I feel like I'm going through PMS once again um but it's it's so interesting how you feel once you start getting regulated because for a while it was still kind of that low energy because for context I had competed years in like back to back to back got ridiculously shredded stayed too shredded so by the time I got labs that I could understand my, all of my sex hormones were like gone, like trash. Um, and so now coming back online, as they start to try to regulate themselves and balance and do all that thing, there's this, there's still this ratio. That's not where it needs to be though, improving. Mm -hmm. And so that's like that wonky phase that hurry up and weight gain of like, you need to continue to do the right things and delay the gratification of, well, if I just go back on birth control, I'll just feel better. Right. Um, but you won't be normal. Now that I know that shit about the brain, I'm like,
1: Oh my God, it makes sense. I <laughs> dated those fucking guys. <laughs> it does. See, you have it now. You can logically explain why you did yeah. certain things. So, I'm not uh, going to lie, though. Sometimes I was like, during balancing, coming off of birth control, I'm like, man, what if I just go back on? <laughs> like, this is fucking rough. It is so fucking rough. I gained a lot of weight. I didn't, I can't even believe I didn't say that, but like, weight gains huge because estrogen dominance, we tend to gain. And I gained ooh, a good, 20 20 pounds, all in within like my hips and stuff. Um, so that's that's a huge one. But I know I kept telling myself, like, can't go back on. It's gonna you'll get through this. You'll get through this. Going back on is just putting a band-aid on it. One day you're gonna have to come off, but it's rough. Yeah, so
0: I do I want you to dive into that. That if you can recall like that journey of coming off birth control. I know that you mentioned some weight gain stuff. Um, I know that you've mentioned now that you've alleviated a lot of the um, anxiety and stuff that you felt mentally. So what was that journey like outside of weight gain? How fast did you gain weight? Was this due to like high, high, uh, hunger, or was this more like, what, what did that look
1: like? So when I came off, um, I did have a really big increase in my appetite, typically more towards like sweet foods and salty foods. Um, other than that I did I developed SIBO. <laughs> so I'm thinking there could be a number of reasons we know SIBO can be triggered for a lot of things we can, but I do think um, birth control did have something to do with that as well. Um, man, I had I had every symptom you could think of. Acne was horrid. I actually never, even when I went through puberty, uh, but far before birth control, I never had acne. And here I am 26 years old and I look like a 13 year old girl that is going through puberty. It was horrible. And it was every month. (laughs) And I'm like, what the heck? So as soon as not even every month, my cycles were very long. Mm. Um, I think the first one after, after I cleared up SIBO is when things obviously started to get better because when we could go down that rabbit hole too, when you're estrogen dominant, if you're not going to the bathroom, (laughs) you're not able to rid yourself of, um, excess estrogen. So it just like recirculates. And that was my, actually my biggest issue. So for a long time, um, well, I was trying, I was spinning my wheels, trying to balance my hormones, um, but not getting my gut right. So the SIBO is like preventing me from ever ridding myself of estrogen dominance. Um, And one thing I need to say, like if you've,
0: again, and and that therefore can lead to thyroid issues and things like that, because it's so interconnected, right? And I think that people look at these issues because people talk about them as very separate issues, but they're very interconnected. And so it's Mm -hmm. finding what is the biggest contributor, the root cause of all of these things, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what you have to fix first. And I think that that's why gut health is so important because 80% of your immune system, is existing in your gut on top of that is your detoxification pathway. That is where estrogen metabolism happens, right? This is where you can have issues with your thyroid and hypothyroid typically has issues with going to the bathroom. So if you've never had a period in your life where you have not been able to go to the bathroom. And then for me, when I was there, my cognitive function was shit. Like my hunger gone. Like I felt those are the worst days of my life. And I thank God every day now that I go poop. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but it's like the
1: best, most satisfying thing in the world. It It is. is. I went and I honestly, for so long thought my digestion was normal. It was my normal, Mm. but it was fucked. (laughs) It was, I mean, I probably went every two to three days. And they weren't like full bowel movements. And I had never really known any different than that. So when I I hired my current coach, he's like, we've got, we've got some issues. And we ended up knowing that I had SIBO. Um, I'm telling you within, I don't know, four weeks, I was going to the bathroom every single day. I was happier. I was like more energized, like no brain fog. I'm like yeah. this, this is, and then maybe two months later, I got my labs and no more estrogen dominance.
0: Yeah. And so yeah. it's really understanding like root cause. And, and for most people, I would say we got to look at their gut, um, yes. but that's not always the case, right? It could be more. a lot of different things. Um, and so you gained a lot of weight during that period of time. Yes. Once you got at least your digestive tract under control, Mm -hmm. When at what point, how fast did you gain it? Is my first question. And then at what point did you start to see that kind of maintenance? It balanced out and then did it naturally start to come off
1: or did you diet for it to come off? It has not come off yet. Okay, cool. So I can get into that because once I cleared up the estrogen dominance, like you said, thyroid, well, (laughs) can't diet with, that I had some thyroid issues as well. Um, I've been all through it. I've done pretty much all of the imbalances here, um, but my thyroid was downregulated uh, pretty badly. And it won't. It wasn't just the estrogen dominance or any of that. It was years of dieting as well. Um, I chronic dieter for years. I think I did the math, and I think from 2014 until 2022, when I, I haven't dieted in a good year now good year and a half, actually. Um, It's been a long time and I'm still not dieting. Um, From that time, from 2014 to 22, I went maybe three months max, not in a dieting phase. Um, And even then it was I wasn't eating more than like eighteen hundred calories. Um, we didn't really work up any maintenance calories. I didn't do any of that. Um, I always was the one to kind of turn around and be like, "I need a diet again." Um, so just years of that kind of downregulated my thyroid. So I got when I got that tested, I was my TSH was pretty elevated, um, and then the the conversion of T4 to T3 was not doing so well. <laughs> so. Um, we spent, I've been building up my maintenance calories for since about April. So it's been a long time going on and I'm going to continue to do that. Um, but so the weight has not come off to answer the question and it won't for a while. Um, I did retest my thyroid and we brought my TSH down to an optimal level, but my conversion still not there. Um, so we just think there's a little bit of deficiencies there with, uh, selenium. So we're just going to try to work on that. Um, so no dieting yet. Um, it will come off eventually. I'm just holding off for that. But as far as how quickly it came on uh, a couple of months and I put on 20 pounds, maybe, maybe two months and I put on a good 20 pounds. Um, and I kind of, I stayed there for a little bit. Um, the cravings were pretty bad. Um, and that's, I think, what led to it for me was yeah. just kind of not being able to control. Was that. this post-show? No. Post-show, okay. I had other issues we could get into. So okay. <laughs> okay. Because I was just
0: I was just wondering the context in which, where we got there, where the food focus came from, kind of the drive to overeat <gasps> in, in context, was it to okay.
1: competing? That's a year. Yeah. Competing would have, been, I think, contributed. Um, so- for reference, I competed in 2019, um, went off birth control in 2020, but I did have a big period of time in there where I had a lot of issues as well. Um, cortisol was like really high. Not only did I um, compete, obviously, it's a big stressor on the body, dieted down really, really hard. Uh, my dad died that year. And um, I've always been like, I had the tendency to emotionally eat and binge eat. Um, so I've, that's years of, of that. And I actually got pretty good at controlling that. But when I went off birth control, I it came back a little bit, like the cravings were kind of, and I was very food focused just because of the years of restriction. I have not, not been in a dieting phase. Um, I will say within the last year and a half, since working on not dieting, like strictly I'm not allowed to diet. Yeah. I won't let myself, I won't compromise my health back to that. When I'm optimal, we will do this again. I'm so close. I've worked two years at this. I'm so close, so close. So it's like I'm not gonna ruin that. Um, but in the last year and a half, not only have I gotten like my health back, as far as like hormonally, my relationship with food mm. is the best it's ever been. The best it's ever been. Like, I don't think twice about food. And you go from being this person that every meal you put so much thought into you have to weigh every gram you have to, or if somebody asked you to go do something, God forbid, God forbid, somebody asked me to go do something. And I've already planned by day that we just can't. And that you look back at that and it's like, man, that was miserable. Yeah, it was miserable. So like now I don't feel any negative feelings towards food. So that's been a huge part about, working on my hormonal health. That's been pretty awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's actually really powerful and critically important for people to consider because I know way too many people that struggle to be present with people or in a conversation because they're focused on when they eat next and what food is there and if they can drink or if they're going to drink. Right. And it's like, you sit there and you talk to somebody, but you know, they're not listening to you. And it's like, you know, you've had those conversations. Like I've definitely been that person to someone when I was so fucking shredded. Like I know people were talking to me, but I was thinking about, I got to eat in 20 minutes. You know, I, you know, one of those things. And it's it's such a cool place to be where like, I can work all day and not have one thought of food. Like, oh, I got to eat or, oh, I'm hungry. Or, oh, I just ate. When's my next meal? Like, you know, those types of thoughts would consume your brain when you're in such a restrictive headspace. But when you can get to a point where your relationship with food is good. Um, you have more cognitive efficiency, productivity, and clarity, your energy is better overall in the gym or outside of the gym. I think that it is important to consider the trade-offs when you go into dieting, the potential downsides of that endeavor, especially taken too far or done too long. And so I think you're a really good testament of like short-term discomfort for long-term gain. Um, and I remind myself of that all the time. Cause it's like, I want my body to naturally kind of clean itself up. So I'm not going into any type of deficit. I'm just getting more to where my cortisol response is good. I can start training again. Like, let's see what happens to my body composition naturally um, versus trying to, okay, I'm uncomfortable because I did gain weight. Like not a fun thing to talk about, but it's like. I have to prioritize my health. So I'm just going to let it, let it go (laughs) like frozen moment. But if I had to pick, and I know that I say this to people all the time. They're like, okay, you're a coach. Like you're supposed to say the shit. But if I had to pick between who I am now, like heavier than I've been, but I have way better energy. I poop every day. My relationship with self is good. My relationship, like I don't even think about food, right? Like my ability to perform, show up and have productivity, energy, cognitive function, clarity, all the things. I would not trade this because you can, you don't get to just pick a part of somebody. You don't just get to pick, well, I want to look like that, but live like this, right? There is a trade-off to people mm-hmm. achieving things or living a certain way. And so like, if you want to look how you see somebody on Instagram who has, you know, maybe a shredded body or something like that, and you're like, yeah, I want to look like that. It's like, you have to also have to consider every other tree branch that has grown from those roots in the context of their life, which might mean that mentally you're in a bad space. You are anxious. Anxiety with food deprivation is really, really high. Um, things like your, your relationship with self, your body image. Once you see yourself shredded, you cannot unsee that shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Constantly
0: thinking about food, constantly being in control of everything, right? There are certain things that you have to go through to be there, right? And so if I, my trade-off on this side is having a little bit more body fat than I would love, right? But I still have all those, those pros, yeah. And I know I can meet myself somewhere in the middle once my body composition and my internal health, once my internal health is where it needs to be, my body composition will follow.
1: Exactly. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. They, and it's it's hard. Like, I, like you said, I have to remind myself all the time, all the time that like, it's just discomfort right now. But what I'm doing is setting myself up for more success later. I'll lose, you can always lose, like lose body fat. You can It's just, I don't want to do it the way that I did it before. I was miserable. I don't have to, you don't have to be miserable. (laughs) You don't. And I think a lot of people, the world is full of yo-yo dieters. (laughs) We yo-yo diet and people don't realize the reason things get so miserable is because you downregulate so much and you adapt to this low, low amount. If you just took the time to build back up, give yourself time out of dieting, put yourself at some really good maintenance calories and then diet again, it won't be so bad. <laughs> you really can't. And oftentimes. Themselves. Um, and I'm sure you see this too. Um,
0: one of the best pieces of feedback I actually got today in an email was like, I'm so, like, one of the things I'm most grateful for is the fact that I have now learned how to eat the things I enjoy, fuel my body appropriately, not be food focused and starving, and also run myself into the ground with cardio. And I look 10 times better than I ever did doing that. Yeah. And it's, it's, counterintuitive to pair more food and teaching people how to train and decreasing their stress load. Like I had a client named Addie who lost 11 pounds in 11 weeks through a reverse diet and focusing on stress mitigation. We did not cut food. We did not add cardio. We didn't do any of that. And so I don't also, I think it's also so important for people to understand that what you made a point about is true. Like if you were to try to diet right now, the ROI that you would get from that event would be diminished, right? It would be a terrible, terrible percentage on return on that investment because your metabolic functions aren't there to support optimal
1: fat loss. Exactly. We actually attempted before I I tried, before I actually tested my thyroid again, I, we, we added a little, little bit of cardio, cut some food and within a week and a half, um, my waist measurement went up an entire an inch. I, I was inflamed. Um, the weight spiked and I'm, I'm like, yeah, my body is just not ready. Something's up, man. So we've just got a whole new panel and lo and behold, my thyroid was just not, not right.
0: And the sad yeah. part about that is most women, especially would see that and just go, oh, I got to slash more calories and I yeah. got to do more cardio, right? And that's where you are working against your body and against yeah. the results that you want to achieve because you need to pull back and address the actual issue, yes. which could be your dieting history, your stress issues, maybe your the way that you cope and manage and interpret Um, that season of your life, but it's, it's going to be really cool to see the next year of your life and like where you are at the end of 2023, both professionally and, and in your own endeavors, because there's so much opportunity here. And it's the hard thing to convince a client. Like, it's a hard thing to educate them on like, I know you want to lose fat. I know you're uncomfortable. And I hate that for you. Like, I really hate that for you, but One of our core values is integrity. And with integrity, I cannot diet you knowing this will do you harm. So we have to do the right thing for this little period of time, which in context, if you've been dieting for a decade, spending six months to a year, or you've been doing it for two years in the context of dieting for almost a decade, like still the ROI on that is very good because you have the rest of your life to achieve that body and keep it. But people don't think that
1: way. No. And I, I get it. It's tough it's you think like, oh, it's going to take so long, so long. And it, it feels like it when you're in the moment, like I say two years and that seems like a really long time, but I spent years dieting and I spent a lot of those years, yo-yo dieting. (laughs) Um, So it's worth it. It's worth it. But it it is a hard conversation to have. And it's hard to explain to people that like, I promise you, I promise you on the other end, it's going to be worth it. I promise you. I, I've, I speak from experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's been rough. And I have, I'd be lying if I said that I haven't, it hasn't increased some bad body image in some periods of time, but, you know, again, you know, it's worth it. I'm healthier. I, I feel the best that I've ever felt. My energy, my brain fog is gone. Um, I'm telling you once I started pooping every day, the best. <laughs> life changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And until you go through it, you have no
0: idea what we're talking about. So if you've always pooped every day, like you're, you're an incredible human being. You are probably an anomaly because most women listening to this are probably like, probably thinking about, do
1: I poop every day?
0: (laughs) Like I don't really go every day.
1: I mean, most women that come to me, they're amazed when I say, "I, I need you pooping every day. Yeah. So when I, you know, have them talk about their digestion, um, when I start to notice some, some negative biofeedback, and they're like, oh, I have some constipation or or whatever, and then I start having them like track every day their bowel movements, and like I give them a Bristol stool chart and everything like that. You'll see like a lot of like really pebbly like constipation stuff, and they're like, I've had this for years, and I'm like, I know it's your normal, but it's not normal. Not normal. Like this is your yes, this is what you've been going through, but I promise you, it's not normal. And once we start to kind of address those energy goes through the roof, training gets better. Every, it's like their whole life kind of like levels up because they're pooping every day.
0: (laughs) Pun intended.
1: (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) 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 Okay.
0: So back to practicality and I want to pull back to, um, the birth control. So let's say someone's listening to this right now and they're like, okay, I'm on birth control. And now that I've learned that my brain is fucked up and I've probably, you know, disrupted my own physiological biofeedback, very important evolutionary physiology that will allow me to get pregnant and have a sex drive. I want to come off of it. What should they be considering prior to going off of that? How can they most optimally, right? Best case scenario, just set themselves up to be better than if they did nothing and just came off of it cold turkey.
1: Um, Obviously the basics. We want to make sure we're managing stress. We want to make sure we're sleeping. We want to make sure digestion's good. Uh, water, the basic stuff there. But then the, the pill specifically depletes some nutrients um, that we we need. So I always recommend just like a high quality prenatal, Um, make sure we get zinc and selenium and stuff that the pill will deplete. Um, And those are things I would add in like a month prior. Um, And then, you know, kind of just just stop, but make sure we're supporting our body that that entire time. We won't just like, oh, well, now that I'm off, I'm gonna stop taking these prenatals, and I'm gonna, you know, not really be on top of a routine. Um, a lot, it's a lot of it's simple when it comes down to hormone regulation. A lot of it's simple. It's a lot of just lifestyle things that people yep. don't think of. Um, we don't think about managing our stress. Well, I, everybody has stress. It's not. I'm not saying don't be stressed. I'm saying manage it, Man- manage your stress. Um, a lot of people don't even try to manage your stress. They're just like, oh, this is going on, I'm busy at this. They don't take the time to throw in some de-stressing things, deep deep breathing, meditation, journaling, whatever it might be. Uh, sleep, people's sleep routines fucking suck. Terrible. Uh, uh, sleep is for the weak, that's like the big thing. And it's like, mm, no, <laughs> no. Um, we sleep need is for the strong, we're productive. It it's not about being busy, it's about being it's- productive. Exactly. And I see so many people that have no like nighttime routine. Um, they're just going to bed like high, strung after a day, getting five hours of sleep. Um, sleep is probably, sleep and stress are my two biggest things that I think if you can do all the right things, you can eat all the right foods, you can move your body, you can drink your water, but if you are not managing your stress and getting enough sleep, you will not balance your hormones. Absolutely. And that's, (laughs) that's why
0: I am so, you know, me, the mindset guru over here. It's like, I, everyone experiences stress. I think that people need to work on their stress perception and stress response because, You and I could experience the same amount of stress or the same exact situation, but let's say one person has, is really anxious, doesn't struggle, kind of gets lost in what everybody thinks and what people are going to say. And just kind of all of the uncontrollable variables, like putting all your energy into that, right. Mm
1: -hmm. That can
0: leave somebody absolutely broken by the end of the day, right. Versus if you can look at it and bring awareness and go, okay, I don't love this, but no amount of anxiety is going to change what happens next. So how do I conduct myself appropriately? Yes. Right, and finding ways to be outlet and creative outlets because when people say the gym is therapy, the gym is a great outlet, but it is not fucking therapy. And if you need therapy, you need to go to therapy. You need to go to therapy, right? Because <laughs> running yourself into the ground as an excuse to work it out, that can also be detrimental. And I say that from experience because I used yes. to be that person who used to spend four to five hours in the gym running myself into the ground, and I definitely am paying for that on the other side of this.
1: That's another thing. Like I find a lot of people especially when we're balancing our hormones you don't want to train too much we still want to train but then people are like well my stress reliever is the gym and I'm like we need to find other stress relievers we got to find other stress management because we cannot rely on that stress is not just what's up here it's what we're doing to our body as well so we have to find that healthy balance and a lot of people are like that's the gym is that I'm like it can be one, you can, you can relieve some stress in the gym, but it can't be your sole like stress reliever. It's not going to benefit you in the long run.
0: Yeah. And at some point, like that's not healthy as well. Right. Cause what happens when you don't have a gym, what's going to happen to you?
1: Yes. Right. So I actually struggled with that during quarantine. When I was going to say, I,
0: I know a lot of people, I struggled with that during that's, that was the whole thing. I was like, all right, I am an anxious little bitch right now in my life and I don't have the gym. So I had to go, okay, the solution isn't just working out. It's yes. actually acknowledging what's going on and finding a better way to cope with it. Um, and so it was really, I always try to find a positive in everything. Like COVID actually helped me in a lot of ways, even though it was really nice. hard, it was quite beneficial long-term. Um, okay. The last thing I want to touch on, okay. you mentioned, um, stress and not just the stuff that goes on in our head, but how we treat our body. So one thing would be under over The other one is a calorie deficit and Dieting. So coming off of birth control, would you suggest that people try to lose any weight?
1: No. Dieting is a hard no. If I'm transitioning any of my clients off birth control, that's the first thing I tell them. Dieting is a hard no. Um, We need to support our body. Stress is not going to be good when you're transitioning and trying to get that normal hormone production back. Um, Our body does not want to be in a deficit. So when we're trying to get things back to being balanced and it's pers- getting all this stress, it's not going to work in our favor. And yeah, so I when I transition people off, I won't. And then, you know, we give a little bit of time, see some biofeedback, get some labs, and then we'll go from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Remember that where you are, and I think this is a really important thing, regardless of whether you're in a dieting phase, you're in a reverse diet, you're doing whatever you're doing, life is hard, life is great. Um, on either side of the coin, it's really important to remember that where you are right now is temporary, right? So if it's really great, just know that there's probably shit going to happen. And if it's really bad, just know that it's going to get better um, because evidence would show you that things are never peachy forever, nor does the storm always last. Like there's going to be shit, but it tends to get better and you grow through that. So um, thank you, Miss Haley, for coming on today. I appreciate you. Next time we will probably dive into SIBO since we discussed it here a little bit. Um, we'll break down some protocols. How do you know if you have SIBO, what to do about it, how to appropriately address it would not really suggest antibiotics, but I know some people go that route. We will kind of break down the holistic way for you guys to address that and feel better and poop normal mm. and, uh, also be able to think clearly. So Haley, thank you so much for coming on and we'll talk to you guys next time.